At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, I sat down with Ali Slagle, recipe developer, New York Times contributor, former Food 52 editor, and once upon a time, she was even my editor on the very first Genius Recipes cookbook. Her own first cookbook is called I Dream of Dinner So You Don't Have To where she shares recipes focusing on minimal ingredients and maximum joy. In this episode, Allie and I will talk about all of the ways that we can be bringing even more life to Caesar salad with even less effort, and what she learned from living and cooking out of a camper van for most of last year. But first, here's Allie to tell us about how her grandma's and mom's intuitive cooking styles influence the way that she writes recipes today. I would sit at the dinner table and do homework and my mom would be cooking dinner right next to me. And I would just kind of watch her out of the corner of my eye. And the way that she moved around the kitchen really shaped how I cook and shaped a lot of how this book is designed. So like if she was making chili, the first thing she would do is put a pot on the stove, put some oil in it and start warming it. And then she would go to the cutting board and chop an onion and then she'd throw the onion in. And then she chopped some garlic and it was just like such a fluid motion where each step she would start it and then she would be thinking about the next step. And I always thought that's like how you cook is like you just keep chopping as you go. And so when I started reading recipes as a kid, I didn't know that you're supposed to like do all of the preparation first in an ingredient list and chop everything first. I think that really shaped how I hope people move through the kitchen as they move through these recipes. Can you think of a good example of that uh, in the way that you cook now? Um, I think a lot of it is about like instead of chopping everything at the start, starting something on a skillet and like listening to it and paying attention to it and um, also smelling it and then knowing when the next thing should come. So it really is about using all of your senses more so than a timer to make the food that looks and feels good to you. So does it rely on tuning those senses so that you know the sound of when something's about to start burning or the smell of when something is done? Yeah, I think it. a lot of it was kind of for me when I was working on this book, like how do I, for someone who didn't get to just like watch an amazing cook every day, like how do I capture 
that like confidence in the kitchen and that fluidity of motion and in the recipes, that's why all the measurements are in the steps themselves, because my hope is that you get in the habit of just kind of like measuring and chopping as you go so that every step is really efficient and you're utilizing your time in the best way possible. It also helps with grocery shopping. You can remember five things when you go to the grocery store without worrying about the exact measurements of them, but they're there if you need them. Yeah. I mean, this, the format of the recipes, it's like, there's definite pros and cons. And I think part of the hurdle could be that you might not have the exact measurement that is listed, but I think in those moments is when you're like really cooking, when you're like, what can I add? Like, how can I fix this? Like when you start thinking for yourself, instead of just following a recipe blindly, like that's when you start developing your like cooking senses. Is that how your grandma cooked too? Yeah, my grandma has never followed a recipe. (laughs) (laughs) In the introduction of the book, I photographed her famous um, biscotti recipe. It's like the thing that she's known for that she gives to all of her neighbors. And she's always been asked for the recipe. And so she tried to write it down and you cannot under, you can't read it. Like it's just, there's scribble scrabble all over the place. And I'm sure to her, it makes sense, but it's just like, she can't contain her motions, you know? And I think too, in the recipe, like every time she makes it, she would change something. So all of those iterations are like on this piece of paper. Yeah. She cannot follow a recipe. (laughs) Have you or your mom ever been able to recreate the biscotti? I've never tried on my own. I've made them with her, but I definitely felt like I could never make them on my own again because the steps like iterate in progress, you know, like they're just, they change all the time as she goes. How so? She's known for substituting ingredients in a way that it's never clear, like what should go in the cookies. One time I sent her this recipe for a two ingredient cookie and I was like, I think you would like this. And she, she was like, oh, I made those cookies. I didn't have either ingredient, but I made them. <laughs> I was like, great. What did you do? I don't know. <laughs> they taste good to her. That's all that matters. The one thing that was hard to think about in terms of like watching or learning from my grandma and my mom is like their cooking just felt so every day. Like it just felt so a part of life that it was hard. It's hard for me to like extrapolate the fascinating parts just because it's like, Mm -hmm. that's just what they do. That's what they do every day. And that's what they love. So this book has really made me think more critically about like how they move through the kitchen, like what ingredients they pull from in a way to kind of share their cooking. But there's also just something so nice about like not analyzing it, just being like, this is just what they're doing, you know? And, and Mm -hmm. you ask them, what they're doing. It's like, oh, it's simple. It's just chicken, salt, and pepper. And like, usually it is just chicken, salt, and pepper, you know? So it was definitely a challenge to like capture that simplicity in a way that would be replicable for someone else. I wish I could cook with them. They they sound really (laughs) fun to be in the kitchen with. I'll tell you one more story about my grandma. Um, So she came to America when she was 18 and she was like a new wife and she really wanted to kind of adopt American traditions. 
So she would like see something on a commercial or, you know, something and be like, oh, I'll recreate that. So I was going through kind of the scrapbook of her recipes and there was a recipe for Rice Krispie treats. And it was like rewritten like five or six times and everyone had like a big X through it. I was like, what's wrong with her recipe? And I look at the recipe and in all of them, she put egg in it because she was like, it's a cookie. You know, she like didn't Mm. understand how to make, she was like, this is just like a cookie with cereal in it. And she had no idea what it was, but she like really wanted to figure out how to make like this American food. What was the X signifying? Like bad recipe. Do not, (laughs) (laughs) do not pass go. (laughs) Okay, so we shouldn't put egg in our Rice Krispie treats then, no, it sounds like. No. Your, your grandma tried it. <laughs> Many times, it seems like. <laughs> hey, it's Kristen. If you're enjoying this chat with Allie as much as I did, head over to the Genius Recipe Tapes and hit follow. And like our recent episode with Yasmin Khan, who shares with us a bright citrusy layer cake that you can whip up all in one bowl. Or two, if you count the frosting. In the second half of this episode, Allie shares the inspiration for this week's Genius Recipe. Her very different, very necessary take on the classic chicken Caesar salad. Meet you back here for that. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. You have this incredible talent for coming up with genius ways to make cooking more efficient and more joyful. So we would be remiss if we did not talk about the fact that you were cooking mostly off of a camp stove in the back of a van for much of last year. First of all, how did you find yourself living and cooking out of a van? And could you tell us more about some of the efficiencies that you learned cooking within those limits? Well... The van happened by surprise. Uh, (laughs) Really? Yeah, it was truly, yes. So I really wanted to go live on the West Coast because I'm from the West Coast and I felt like part of me had been missing for a long time and I hadn't visited in so many years. So I was like, let's go live on the West Coast. But we have a cat and traveling all the way across the country Sleeping in our SUV with the cat just seemed like a little precarious. So we were driving and my boyfriend Ryan saw this old Japanese van, which is called the Delica, driving by. And he was like, that's cool. Like, what is that? And he says that about a lot of things all the time. So I didn't really think it was like a real what is that? And then a couple of days later, he was like, I'm going to go to Philadelphia and look at this van. I was like, okay, (laughs) great. So this is what we're doing. Um, And then as 
like the van became a thing in our life, we were like, wow, like we can really go travel. We can take our time traveling across the country and then take our time going from place to place because we have this van, which means we'll have a fridge and we'll have a bed and we'll have a stove. And like, we can do all the things that we need every day. So all last summer, Ryan built out the van and there's a kitchen, quote unquote, kitchen in the back. It pulls out from under the couch and there's just like a little camp stove, drawers for all my pots and pans. And then there's a mini fridge inside. So I never cooked like for work from the van, honestly, because the camp stove is so much more powerful than any home kitchen stove I've ever used. It felt just like not quite replicable in terms of recipe development, but we used it to cook, you know, two to three meals a day. And it was really interesting to see kind of like the transition of what I wanted to cook. As we were driving all day, I would think about in my head, like what I'm going to make for dinner, thinking about what was in the fridge, what I had in the pantry. And like, really what was important is like, what can be made really quickly to use the stove? You have to open the trunk, which means all of the hot, warm air in the van will escape. And it's very cold wherever we were. So it really was like, make food so that we don't freeze tonight. Like that was kind of like the logic. And then also the dishwashing was a really big production. Um, We have like a water filter tank, which we use to clean dishes in a tub, but we didn't heat the water. So you can't really, we couldn't successfully like clean off oil. Mm. So at a certain point we're like, we're not going to fry any, we're not going to saute anything. Like we're really just going to boil food. It's a little bit freeing just to decide, like I'm going to cook what feels best in terms of like the process. And maybe it is a soup mix again, but like it's warm and it fills us up and it's nourishing and was really nice. Like it wasn't fancy food and, and it's exactly what it had to be. Those kinds of limits, um, you wouldn't think about just boiling all your food if you were in, you know, a well-stocked kitchen in your apartment. Was there anything that came out of that, any unsung boiling (laughs) (laughs) recipe or technique that, you know, now is in your repertoire because you could only boil? Yeah. I mean, we ate a lot of shin ramen, so much, Mm. but it's just like immediately flavorful and delicious. If you weren't cooking in the van all the time for work, where were you cooking? So every so often we'd have to stop at an Airbnb. So I had a full kitchen. The van doesn't have an oven. And at the time I was doing a lot of cross-testing. So I kind of like needed specific tools and equipment to do my job. So we would spend like one month at a time at various Airbnbs so I could test recipes and develop recipes And that kind of like was the original idea for the trip. Like, let's just go from Airbnb to Airbnb. And then the van kind of like added this nature element um, once it came into the equation. But the Airbnbs, I was really excited to cook from different kitchens just because every kitchen is really different. And working on different stoves, I learned a lot about, you know, like stove strengths and oven nuances and also what people stock in their houses. All of that just helped me, I think, be a better developer because not everyone has the same tools that I have, you know? 
Yeah, it kind of made you the ultimate recipe cross-tester. One person <laughs> recipe cross-tester and developer, because if you think about like the good housekeeping test kitchen where they have three different sets of equipment and every recipe has to go through being tested on all these different types of stoves and, and in different ovens. And you were doing that just by nature of moving around and using a lot of other people's kitchens. Let's talk about your new cookbook that is out this week, I Dream of Dinner. Can you share with our listeners why after editing so many cookbooks and developing recipes all over, you wanted to write this particular cookbook? Well, if I'm being honest, I didn't want to write a cookbook. (laughs) (laughs) Really telling the truth. I just knew how much work it would be and how it would Mm -hmm. consume my life. But I also was very aware of the fact that this was a book that I felt needed to be written. I felt like there are so many weeknight cookbooks and dinner books. It's kind of like an overpublished category. But when I looked at them, I didn't really see my life in them. Like I didn't really see that I would actually be able to make these things on a weeknight. And maybe I'm lazier than others, or I really don't want to work. But I just felt like, are people really doing this every night? So I wanted to make a book that I felt really you could pick up find something that you could make that night and have dinner in an hour. I know that your book has, you know, no recipes that take more than 45 minutes, no more than eight ingredients. Did you find that challenging to make a full book's worth of those kinds of recipes that still made you excited to eat dinner? Yeah, the book has 150 recipes, which is a lot. (laughs) A lot. I mean, I've written a few that have 100 and it's a lot. (laughs) I think there are certain kinds of dishes that were difficult. Like, oddly, salads are pretty hard to to do under 10 just because dressings can take up so many ingredients often. So like with this Caesar salad, like the dressing does two jobs. A lot of sauces, you know, when you start adding up the ingredients, like it's just becomes five ingredients and then you only have five left that you can use. So that was challenging, but a fun challenge. And when I put on myself, so I was ready for it. But then I think, too, I, I wanted to think about, like, all of the moods that you have for a weeknight mm-hmm. dinner. Like, there are just so many, like, when I come home from work, it's not like I want to eat the same thing every night. Like, sometimes I really want to spend time chopping a bunch of crunchy things. Or sometimes I just want to, like, stand over a pot and stir And so this book kind of gave me the chance to like explore all of those moments for dinner. I was curious how you settled on eight ingredients and 45 minutes. Like, did you start with a different number and then did it have to creep a little bit to be able to capture more possibilities with recipes? So I started with 10 and then my editor was like, haven't you been seeing all these five ingredient dinner things? And I was like, no, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) At a certain point you start sacrificing flavor. I'm, I'm really like never willing to do that. That one ingredient is worth it to me. Those constructs were just kind of like to get the point across that these recipes were easy, but the hope is that they are all delicious. And not every ingredient is created equally too. There's a big difference between like opening a bottle of olive oil and drizzling it into a skillet than peeling and chopping a pound of potatoes or something. Yeah. Whenever I like developed a recipe, I would sit with it 
I always thought about it as like wiggling loose teeth. Like wig, I would like in my <laughs> mind, like wiggle each ingredient and think like, what would that just be without it? Like, will it still be good? And then go to the next one. Like if I wiggle this one, like, or, or is there an ingredient that could do what two of the current ingredients do? I did that for each recipe. So I really feel like each ingredient is worth the effort and money. Naturally, this brings me to the question of how did you wiggle the teeth of this recipe, not just another chicken Caesar salad? And also, why is it not just another chicken Caesar salad? I think there's a fine line. Like a lot of my dishes are kind of like classic foods, but I always want to think about what I have to say about them. Like if I have an important new way to think about it. So Caesar salad is one of those things where I was like, do we really need another Caesar salad recipe? And turns out you do. Mm -hmm. Well, just to take a step back, when you decided you wanted to have a chicken Caesar salad in the book, how did you go about creating this one? I developed this ginger lime chicken for the New York Times a while ago, and it's a really, really popular recipe of mine. And the idea, which I got from Kenji Lopez-Alt, is to use mayonnaise as a coating on chicken for a couple of reasons. One, it like really sticks to the chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever you put in the mayonnaise really sticks to the chicken. Also, when you cook the chicken, you like don't have to add any added grease to the pan because mayonnaise naturally has all that stuff. So... That's useful. It creates like this really beautiful browning. Mm -hmm. And similar to other fats, it carries flavor. So whatever you put in the mayonnaise kind of um, exponentially gets more intense when it's in the mayonnaise. The mayonnaise flavor itself kind of like disappears, I think, especially when you have such flavorful things in it. I just thought it was a nice play like to use one sauce two ways I especially like it because in the mayonnaise on the chicken, the ingredients, so the garlic, the anchovies, the Parmesan, the lemon, soy sauce, Dijon, all of that stuff gets cooked and caramelized. So you, and then in the dressing, it stays raw. So you kind of get like two layers of flavor in one sauce by using it two ways. Oh, and the way that all of those things, when they cook in the pan, caramelize is just unbelievable. Like. <laughs> It's like like Frico or, you know, when, when cheese falls off of a bagel that you're broiling and it gets all crispy, that's like all over your chicken. <laughs> plus garlic, plus anchovy, plus all of these good flavors, plus the way that the mayo kind of breaks down as you're cooking it. The tasty things that are in mayo and then the oil that breaks out of it. So it's cooking. I, I love watching that process of seeing this like raw chicken in creamy sauce turn into like gorgeously browned really good smelling, really tender chicken. You don't have to sit the chicken in the mayonnaise. You can, but it's it does its job really well just smearing it on and cooking it. That was one thing of many that really shocked me about this recipe was that you can just put it in the marinade and then cook it immediately and it still has tons of flavor. You don't scrape off any of the marinade before it goes into the skillet. It all just cooks in there with the chicken. Mm-mm. I was testing a steak recipe where I do a similar thing with mayonnaise, but like with a dry rub, because when you're grilling, so often a dry rub burns. But when you put it in mayonnaise, it has kind of like this 
wetsuit preventative layer. So the spices <laughs> toast, but don't really burn. And they all stick to the meat and not the grates. Mm-hmm. It seems so wrong to like smear mayonnaise on steak, but you just have to trust it. It's transformed into something completely different. Yep. And I guess we should say just for clarification that the reason that you're able to use this double duty is because you separate it out before it ever touches the chicken. You just split it in half and half goes to the chicken and half goes to the salad. And you did all of the work in one go. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Efficiency. I love it. The soy sauce really is like taking the place of Worcestershire sauce. Um, Mm. Worcestershire is one of those things where it's like, I've had the same bottle for seven years and I've used like, you know, a thimble of it. And I just wonder what I'm going to do with it. And I just feel like soy sauce is a much more multi-purpose ingredient. So it's worth like bringing it into your fridge. To me, they like play similarly um, in terms of like umami and deliciousness. I really just feel like if you're, if like something is missing very often, like just a tiny bit of soy sauce will help things out a lot. Mm -hmm. The Dijon mustard similarly is like a prickly thing and also just helps emulsify everything. In the ingredient list in the book, which is really a grocery list, it says crisp lettuces because this is kind of like a fatty dressing. It's mayonnaise and cheese. So you need something like watery and refreshing to balance it. I list little gem, romaine and chicories because I just feel like if you go to the store and, you know, recipe says romaine and it's like, oh my gosh, there's no romaine. Like you can use something else, you know, like there's other options for lettuces and they're kind of doing similar but different jobs. And I just want people to like be able to use what they have and use what's at their store or what they like instead of like whatever I tell them to use. Mm-hmm. So the little gem and romaine are both very sweet and watery and crunchy. And the chicories are the wild card, um, which I learned from Samin Nasrat, um, her Caesar salad recipe. And I love to mix chicory with the sweet kind of like mild little gem or romaine, just because it's a really easy way to like introduce another layer of flavor to the salad. I feel like I have eaten a lot of Caesar salad in my life just from, you know, by nature of growing up in California and my dad kind of working to perfect his when I was a teenager. And I really appreciate that. Yes, I I do think that we needed another chicken Caesar salad, definitely, because I wouldn't have thought to introduce um, a bitter lettuce in um, and just all of the different flavors on the spectrum that this recipe takes you to. As good as a chicken Caesar salad can be, this just like it educated me in what else it could be. Wow, that's so sweet. Maybe my platonic ideal of a Caesar salad might have to still be my dad's forever because I've eaten it so much and it's so lemony and so garlicky and so anchovy and so like bright and fresh. But I'm so happy to have a completely different one that still kind of scratches the same itch. As I was working on this recipe, like staring at this skillet, I was like, it would take two minutes to put a piece of bread with some olive oil in the skillet before you cook the chicken. And then people who want croutons can make croutons. So in the recipe... The crouton is basically fried toast cut into croutons. So you just put some olive oil in a pan and fry a thick piece of bread on both sides so that the outside is like shattery and 
toasted and yummy and the inside is still kind of soft. But this way is very quick. You don't have to turn on an oven. And I think the result is extremely delicious. Mm -hmm. Also, the fact that you cook it all in one piece of bread and then cut it up means that you're not tending to each one and trying to make sure that like the little ones don't burn before the big ones get browned. Yeah, you get kind of like a good mix of toasted to yummy soft middles. Mm -hmm. But yes, I learned how to fry bread in a skillet because um, Kristen is a big proponent of it and wrote about it. (laughs) And in her article, she said fried toast is just a giant crouton. And I think that was like Mm. squirreled away in my brain somewhere. I feel so proud that uh, I had a small part in influencing this, this genius technique. And just for credit where credit's due, I learned about fried toast from Roman's Restaurant in Brooklyn and a recipe that we shared on Food 52 many years ago that was ostensibly about thrice-cooked beans, but it was served on fried toast. And (laughs) that's the part that stuck for me. Well, if I could just embarrass you for one minute, I do have to say that I think working with you for so long and so closely trained me to, to question every part of a recipe and to think about why we learn how to do things certain ways and if it really is the best, most efficient way. So I just want to thank you for kind of instilling that in me from a very young age. We started working together when I was 21. (laughs) But I really think it totally changed how I think about cooking and, you know, all that. (laughs) I'm so happy to see that because I feel like every recipe of yours that I read, I'm discovering new genius things. Thank you for just continuing to make genius recipes for us all to cook and learn more from and take to our other future recipes, because that's so abundantly clear in your book that, yes, make this recipe exactly as is, and you'll be really happy, and it will fit into your life, but also take all of these ideas that you've put into a Caesar salad and spin them out. Yeah, if no one ever makes my recipes exactly, but they learn something to incorporate into their cooking, like, I'm happy. That's all that matters, really. Thanks for listening, and my thanks to Ali Slagel. Her new book is called I Dream of Dinner, So You Don't Have To. I will be heading out on a short sabbatical, so for a little while, you'll be hearing about new genius recipes from some really wonderful guest hosts, and I will be back soon. This week's episode was put together by Amy Schuster, Harry Sultan, Paul Schuler, and Emily Hanhan. If you have a favorite time-saving cooking technique, maybe a genius boiling recipe, I would love to hear about it at genius at food52.com or just tag me on Instagram at McGlorious. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes and the Food 52 Podcast Network, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find the show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating or review. Or send this episode to someone who would appreciate a quicker path to a good pile of homemade croutons. Thanks so much. Talk to you next week.